You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 8, and today we're talking about our favorite books of the year so far. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow well-read Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hello. Here we are again. Here we are. There's a fly in my office, and I can't get rid of it, and I feel like I'm in that episode of Breaking Bad. <laughs> uh, so, ask him uh, what his favorite book is. I should. It's yeah. probably um, Waiting for Godot. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Or something Kafka-esque, I'm sure. Right, yeah. I guess uh, the metamorphosis would maybe be an obvious joke there. Nature is, like, so strange. Like, nothing in my life is ever normal. Like, it just never is. So I got a bird feeder a couple of weeks ago because I moved my office downstairs, and I was like, I want to look at the nature. <laughs> and so it it's this little wooden hanging bird feeder, and it's finally the birds that started to come. But I have, like, one sparrow that needs to go on the nicotine patch. It keeps bringing <laughs> cigarette butts from who knows where and dropping them under the, under the feeder. And then I have this squirrel, this, like, incredible Hulk squirrel that like ripped off half of the roof of the bird feeder yesterday i was like what is that even happening nature cannot be contained liberty yeah i should have known when he showed up in those purple cutoffs but i, I, just, I have no idea maybe he's a never nude <laughs> it's just, just nature that's all i do look out the window oh nature. the weirdest thing i think it happened on a show i was recording with jeff um a neighbor to help my office is on the first floor of our house and a neighbor two houses over has this white cat that just likes to roam the neighborhood and it really likes looking into our house and so like, <laughs> frequently i will look up if i have our front door propped open and the white cat is like sitting on the front stoop staring into the house um but i saw something out of the corner of my eye one time on the show with jeff and when i turned the white cat was sitting on the outside ledge of my office window just staring at me <laughs> scared the crap out of me i don't know how i didn't yelp in the middle of the show oh it wanted to participate i guess it did you know some things that are not scary and are not nature and can be contained on bookshelves and in your brain are books yes although they can be scary that's true but they can't hurt you no unless someone throws them especially if you just keep them in the freezer yes uh so we're gonna do favorite books of the year so far this yeah. week it's our halftime show yeah some books that we haven't talked about on the podcast yet yeah do you want to kick it off yes because do it. oh my goodness i love this book so much um I, I i'm just gonna start just squealing and squealing and squealing so i'm trying to contain myself uh the first book i'm going to talk about is called sweetland by michael crummy he wrote an amazing novel called Galore a few years ago that some people might have read. It was about a guy who washes up in the belly of a whale. Um, familiar story. Uh, this is called Sweetland, and it's about this old man named Moses Sweetland who lives on this fictional island in Canada, also called Sweetland. Um, his family helped found the island, and they've lived there for many generations. And the government offers the inhabitants of Sweetland a resettlement package. They want the island for their own use. And so they, they offer all the people who live there money to move. And everyone accepts the offer except for Moses. And so now his neighbors hate him. <laughs> you know, they're really like, well, most of them, they're, you know, they're pretty angry that he's not taking the deal. And you kind of hear the story of, you know, why he doesn't want to leave and how he's he's always lived there. He only has only left the island once and you and eventually hear the story of what happened when he did that. And it's just this absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous, heartbreaking novel. I mean, it's just, it's so beautiful. 
um, he's he's kind of like haunted by his past, and um, there there's a little boy who he's friends with who will just break your heart. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Annie Prue, like if mm. you've read The Shipping News, um, or Howard Norman, who is just one of my very very favorite authors that I feel like more people should be reading. Um, and it's just it's beautiful. I just keep saying beautiful over and over and over again. I mean, I just this just absorbed this book and it's like living inside me. Um, and, and you de- like you declared that that was going to be your favorite book of the year back in like January or maybe even before. I I think I declared it in August of last year when I read it. <laughs> I was like, I already know this is my favorite book of 2015. And it just is. It's so good. And it's published by Live Right. And they are just killing it this year with, with books. Like, they just keep getting better and better and better. And they're also publishing the Alan Moore novel when it comes out here. Oh, right. Like, like a thousand, over a thousand pages long. I'm just going to sleep outside their, their publishing offices until it's ready because I really want to read that. <laughs> But that's a subject for another day. Maybe someone from Norton is listening this week and yeah. can send it to you. Yeah. They'd have to bring like a giant truck. <laughs> so big. So that, anyway. That's your first pick. Uh, <laughs> speaking was, of oh. so big. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That was Sweetland. Yes. By Michael Crummy. We're trying so hard to remember to repeat the titles at the end of our pitches. Yes. Um, speaking of big books, my yes. first pick is A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. It is big in so many senses. It's a long book. It's uh, really ambitious. It's emotionally just it will wreck you, but you'll like be grateful to Yanagihara for wrecking you in all the ways that it does. Um, it's a story about four men who meet in college, become close friends, and then move to New York City together after college and about their lives for several decades after. Um, the story moves between each of the four men, um, their personal lives separate from each other, and then the ways that their lives and relationships intersect. But it really centers on one of the men whose name is Jude, uh, who is kind of the core of the group. Everyone relies on him and confides in him, but he is a mystery to them. They all talk when he's not around about how little they know of him, uh, excuse me, how little they know of him uh, and how reticent he is to talk about his life before. But they're, they all kind of have this vague understanding that his childhood was really terrible. Uh, and Yanagihara reveals exactly how terrible in so many ways it was to us gradually over the course of like the six or 700 pages of the book. Um, this book comes with a pile of trigger warnings. It's, uh, if, it's a, a really difficult read. If you don't have triggers, I think it would be a really difficult read, uh, even more so if you do their, um, are I don't want to spoil anything, but there yeah, are. It's just really hard. It's, he has a really <laughs> terrible childhood, and you can imagine all of the ways that a childhood could be terrible, and then the ways that that defines his adulthood, and he struggles against it um, to to redefine himself. But he can never quite escape um, or recover from what happened to him when he was young. It's just the most brutally human thing that I've maybe ever read, at least the most brutally and beautifully human thing that I've read this year by far. Um, I was riveted, but I kept having to stop like every 20 minutes or so to just catch my breath. I it kind of simultaneously felt propelled through the story, but also like I really had to pace myself and process it. Um, that like push and pull um, tug of war with a book was something that I hadn't had in, in quite a while. And it was it's just a really remarkable, 
astounding thing that she's done. Uh, you'll probably cry a bunch of times. I'm not a crier when I read all that often, and I just my heart broke into a million pieces for these characters. Um, but it's such great writing. Like so you, good. <laughs> the sentences are so beautiful. I don't know. You want to like underline it and cry and write Hanya Yanagahara a thank you note for breaking your heart. Uh, and so that's a little life. She was so great on Seth Meyers. She was oh, so she hilarious. Was. She was. That's a clip worth finding. Yeah. Spe- oh, and Seth Meyers, one of our contributors at Book Riot, did a post this week about the five best bookish authors, or the five best bookish guests, because I guess authors are default bookish, um, <laughs> that have been on Seth Meyers. And Seth Meyers retweeted it. So we had a little party about that this week. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, okay, so our first sponsor before we keep going. Actually, it's our only sponsor this week, and it's us. We get to Yay, tell you us. about Book Riot Live, which if you haven't heard or maybe you just need to hear again, is Book Riot's first big community event. We're hosting a two-day book party, basically, on November 7th and 8th in New York. We're going to do live recordings of our shows. We're going to do all sorts of author and publishing-related panels. You will get to see like the Farm to Table panel, where an author, an agent, a publisher, a book designer, and a publicist talk about how a book gets made. Uh, you'll get to learn how to make crafts out of books. You'll get to hear speakers talk about incorporating incorporating literary life into social justice and all sorts of things. All of the things that we care about at Book Riot, from the playful to the serious, will be represented there. We will all be there. It's going to be a really great time. And uh, we would love for you to be there with us. Uh, If you are a listener to all the books and you would like to get yourself a ticket to Book Riot Live, you can do that at bookriotlive.com. And you can save $20 on your ticket using the code, wait for it, more cats <laughs> needs more. Cats. Uh, yes, since we are fond of saying here that books are good, but they need more cats. Uh, so, if you're interested, check out bookriotlive.com. You can see the speakers that we've announced so far. We have some really big ones in the works that we hope to be able to announce to you soon. It's an awesome, interesting, diverse lineup. It's just going to be a blast that weekend, and we would love to see you guys there. So again, it's bookriotlive.com for information and tickets, and the discount code for listeners is more cats. Speaking of cats, I was thinking that since you and I, and uh, well, we're going to do uh, live recordings of, of most of the podcasts, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, while we're there, but I was thinking that when we do ours for all the books, we should wear matching cat suits. <laughs> <laughs> like um, Catwoman cat suits or yeah. like dress like as jewel, cats? Jewel threes. <laughs> Okay. I think I said threes. Jewel thieves. Yeah. Uh, so. I'm in. Yeah. Can we get okay. that in the budget? We'll and we... Sure. <laughs> I don't think that would even be the weirdest thing I've expensed. I was just going to say, we can just write them off. <laughs> anyway, yes. Moving along. <laughs> let's, let's keep going. <laughs> uh, so the next book I'm going to talk about is a middle grade novel. Um, I can't think of many middle grade novels that I've read recently that just made me want to get up and dance for joy. Um, maybe Rebecca Stead, but uh, this one, I could not believe how delightful it was and how much I loved it. I shoved it into everybody's hands when it came out. Uh, and that book is called, this book, I should say, is called Listen Slowly by Ting Ha Lai. And she won the National Book Award and uh, was a Newbery Honor winner for her last book called Inside Out and Back Again. And Listen Slowly is about a 10-year-old girl named Mai who lives with her family in California. She's this 
total surfer beach California girl. Um, and she's really looking forward to her summer vacation because there's this really cute boy that is going to be down at the beach where she hangs out and she really likes him. And so she's going to get to know him and everything's going to be awesome. It's going to be like the best summer ever. And then her parents inform her that she is not going to be spending the summer on the beach. She's going to be traveling to Vietnam with her grandmother and she just flips out. Um, her, it turns out that her grandmother's husband, her grandfather, disappeared during the Vietnam War and this is her grandmother's last attempt to try and find out what happened to her husband. Um, so she brings Mai along with her. And Mai is, you know, understandably pouty and just really against this whole trip. Um, it turns out that her parents had escaped Vietnam in the fall of Saigon, but they don't talk much about what happened then. Her, they're very, like, forward-thinking and, and they don't like to dwell on the past. So she doesn't know much about Vietnam other than what she's learned from documentaries or watching TV um, and she barely speaks the language and she gets there and she's like, oh, it's so hot and it's smelly and it's weird and she hates it there. And but of course, you know, as time goes on and she spends more time there with her grandmother she, in finding out about her family, um, she begins to enjoy it. And it's just this really delightful, fun book. Um, she's like my is so great. She's this hilarious 10 year old. I don't spend a lot of time around children. Um, and so. I'm assuming this is how, you know, they talk and behave. And if it is, they're hilarious. Like, <laughs> I was just like, this kid is great. I want to hang out with this kid. Um, and it's it's a really fun book, uh, appropriate for all ages, really. Um, you, you know, I know middle grade might turn some people off, be like, oh, it's a kid's book. But mm. no, it's wonderful. So, so wonderful. And again, it's called Listen Slowly by Ting Ha Lai. Okay, so uh, we're really setting ourselves up for good segues this week because we're going from a book for kids to a book about not having kids. Uh, oh. My favorite essay collection of the year so far is called Selfish, Shallow, and Self-Absorbed. It's 16 Writers on the Decision Not to Have Children, edited by Megan Dom. Uh, this is the book that was like built for my wheelhouse, or my wheelhouse was built around it or something. I'm, I'm going to screw up the metaphor. Uh, but Megan Dom got 16 writers, uh, all of whom don't have children, for various reasons to write about that decision and about their lives and uh, the role that making that decision has played in their lives, sort of how they got there, why they got there, and what it's like to be a person who doesn't have children in a society, and really in a world where almost everyone does. Uh, it's something like only 6 or 7% of American adults uh, are child-free. And uh, as as a very happily and intentionally child-free person, this is the thing that I think about a lot. I'm in my mid-30s and I'm married and people ask me all the time when I'm going to have children and why I don't want them and what kind of monster I am for not wanting them. Uh, so it, this was really validating on a lot of personal levels. But also, I think it's a book that everyone should read, regardless of where you are on the having children, not having children or uh, uncertainty spectrum. Um, Anna Holmes writes a great piece about how she uh, she didn't have kids because she's so ambitious and driven that she knew that if she had them, she would just devote like all of her life to doing all of that. And she wanted to have a career as well. Pam Houston, who is one of my favorite writers just in life in general, writes about conversations that she's had with the young women that she teaches about wanting to have it all and uh, what a lie that is and how much women struggle against the idea that we should be able to, uh, to have careers and families and raise children and be uh, successful in our professional lives and, and what that really means. Uh, there are some dudes in the collection as well. Jeff Dyer writes this really you know great, like sarcastic kind of angry piece about uh, not wanting children and having to deal with other children, other people's children. 
Um, and the pieces really range. The writers are from multiple generations. They're from all kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds. Some of them actively did not want children for career or personal or relationship reasons. Some of them wanted children and were never able to have them. Um, some of them just didn't get the timing right with their partners and the window closed, the ship sailed on that possibility. It's such a nice exploration of all of the ways or many of the ways that people arrive at being childless and what that life experience can be like. And uh, I think that's a thing that we could and should talk about more um, so that people don't feel like freaks for not wanting to have kids. It's certainly a personal thing that it, that I care a lot about opening the conversation up on. Um, I thought the, the pieces were uniformly excellent, but so varied in what they choose to talk about. Um, Kate Christensen writes a really great piece. There are just so many awesome writers in this collection as well. And again, I think everybody could could find something interesting and something to relate to and something eye-opening about it. And so uh, that book, again, is called Selfish, Shallow, and Self-Absorbed, 16 Writers on the Decision Not to Have Kids. It's edited by Megan Dahm. Who is a fantastic writer. Yeah, she's really wonderful. Her introduction to the book is great also. Yeah, they're republishing one of her memoirs, and the title is escaping me right now because, of course, I need it. Um, but they're republishing it this year and I highly recommend it as soon as we figure out what it's called <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes yes it was, it was really great um okay this this is in no way related my next book like none none <laughs> so much for the segues um but I think I've mentioned here before or maybe it was on the reading lives podcast that this new thing that I really like to do is read books without reading anything about them like mm, yes, I love knowing. to do that also. Um, because lots of times I read a lot of stuff for work, so I just have to read it anyway, so I don't read the description. Or, you know, it comes really highly recommended by people I trust. So it's kind of fun to go into it not knowing, like, there's a big twist in the middle or there's a, you know, giant gorilla that wears a fedora. You know, it's 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 fun to, like, just be surprised. And so uh, the next book I'm going to talk about is called Escape from Baghdad by Saad Hossein. And this is one of those books I read without knowing anything about it, just that it was published by Unnamed Press, who I believe I've mentioned before. There's, they're this relatively new indie press that I absolutely love. So I just picked up this book without knowing the first thing about it, and it is bonkers! It's so bonkers and so, so good. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of like the movie Three Kings. Did you ever see that? With, like, Ice Cube? Oh, and, yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's didn't told... that have Marky Mark, or am I thinking yep. of the... Oh, yep. yeah, yeah. And I've George seen... Clooney everything with marking <laughs> okay we'll talk about that another time um but it's it's like told from the other perspective it takes place in baghdad during the u.s invasion and there are two uh citizens of baghdad um dagger and kinza uh, dagger is a former economics professor who's put out of work by the war and the fighting and kinza is this career criminal and they're kind of just hanging out one day and through very strange uh, circumstances, Saddam Hussein's star torturer, that's a oh. that's a job to achieve, uh, he is kind of dropped into their laps and they're trying to decide what to do with him. Like, do they give him to his enemies? Do they ransom him? Do they kill him? And he's like, I'm against all of these ideas. <laughs> you know, like, I vote no all Wait, he gets everything. Vote. No, not really. But he's like, <laughs> you know, I have a better idea. He's like, if you smuggle me out of Baghdad, I will make you rich beyond your wildest dreams. Like, I know where there is all this money, and if you take me there and let me go, it's yours. So they embark on this mission to go get the money, because they're like, all right, money, cool. Um, we're not doing much else. And along their journey, it's so much more difficult than they had anticipated. 
Um, they get help from a U.S. Marine, Private Hoffman. He he is doing a little dealing on the side in the black market. You know, he's kind of like in this for himself. Um, there he's he's enlisted to help them. Uh, they run into fighting. Um, there's they have this ancient watch that doesn't tell time that kind of plays in the story. They find this old hidden library underground with this librarian who's been there forever. It's like very Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, there are gin. Like J I N N, not like mm. alcohol. Uh, not it's like gin and juice. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, gin and juice, the J I N N, that's my favorite book title of the year. Just, you know, just mention that quickly. That's a pretty it's, solid. It's the best. It's Nicole Peeler. But anyway, um, it's just, it's so funny and insane. And it's just like, um, it's very like Catch 22 or Fobbit, the David Abrams book. It's not just about the horrors of war, but like how war is kind of really absurd, too. Oh, totally sold. Yeah. It's fantastic. I'm going to stop there, I think. Awesome. And that's Escape from Baghdad. Yes. Cool. Uh, my next one is one that I also didn't know much about, except that like the rumblings had just started at Book Riot about people really loving the book. And so then I tried to put blinders on and not know anything else about it before I read it. It's called The Fisherman by Chigozi Obioma. Uh, this is, a, oh, it's so good. Uh, it's a really incredible debut novel. It's set in Nigeria in the mid 90s. It's about four brothers. Um, and it's told by the youngest brother, Benjamin, who's nine years old at the time that the story starts. Um, the brother's father is important in their village. He cares very much about the family, uh, about appearances, really, about how the family is perceived by others and about making sure that his sons seem respectable uh, in the eyes of the rest of the people who live there. Um, and one of the things that the boys are forbidden to do is go fishing. Like, that's a thing that is beneath them, according to their father. So, of course, the thing that the boys most want to do is sneak out and go fishing. Uh, and they do this for a while. They call themselves the fish fishermen they go to the river nearby and they fish um on the way back one day they encounter like the town madman who makes a prophecy and you know normally like when you see crazy people prophesying on street corners you can ignore them but this is especially scary to these kids because several things that this guy has prophesied in the past have actually come to fruition and so they're terrified of what he says um he makes a prophecy they don't all hear what he says um but one of the brothers does, and it worms its way into his brain, uh, and then s kind of slowly and then all at once tears their family apart. And the novel is about that. Um, it's also their family drama set against the political turmoil of Nigeria in the in the mid '90s, and sort of more broadly about what happens in families when when that family system gets knocked off the rails by by one person um, or by a secret that someone is keeping. It's about these relationships between the brothers. Um, and man, the language is so beautiful. There are just these amazing, sparkling, soak them into your brain sentences. Um, the chapters begin with like, my brother was a bird or my brother was a different thing. Um, which I wish that I had written them all down now because I remember just really loving uh, how Obioma tied, you know, the sort of nature elements of the story uh, and the environment that the brothers live in into it. It's, I mean, it's so, it's so good. I'm a reader who I hear the language in my head when I read. I don't typically 
see the movie happening. And so how the words go together in a book really makes a difference to my experience of it. And The Fisherman uh, is just really, really exceptional. It's so, so good. I believe yeah. I was I was one of the people who was Muppet arming all over the place on our mm-hmm. Slack channel that you probably had to tune out because so many <laughs> of us have read it and just love it and it's it's gonna win something. It it's you know It really should. Yeah. It it's definitely an, will. It's an incredible especially for a first novel. You know, sometimes you read things and you're like, Man, this is someone's debut. How? Yeah. Uh, I'm really interested in what Obioma will do next. Yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, speaking of fantastic, this next book is from another one of my favorite indie presses, Melville House. Love them. Uh, it's called The Ghost Network by Katie D. Sabato. And it is, I described this as if Lady Gaga and the Westing Game had a baby, and then that baby was raised by David Foster Wallace. Um, yeah, it's true. I love those. Uh, if they don't steal that and blurb it onto the next editions of the book, they are just not paying attention over there. <laughs> they sent it out in the newsletter. Pretty okay, close. Okay, good. Good, good. <laughs> I also, I love, just aside, I love playing that game. Like, if so-and-so and so-and-so had a baby, like, I love that game. Anyway, um, so yeah, so it's about this a mega huge pop star named Molly Metropolis. Uh, she's just, you know, Taylor Swift famous. And... One night she has this concert, and after her concert, she disappears. Like, she's just missing. Like, her her hotel room is empty. They find her cell phone in her journal, and nobody knows, you know, what happened to her. Was she kidnapped? Did she run away? You know, did she spontaneously combust? Probably not. You know, like, where is Molly Metropolis? And the book is written as though somebody named Katie D. Sabato is um, kind of going over the unfinished manuscript of someone named Cyrus Archer, who is investigating the disappearance of Molly Metropolis. And so there are all these footnotes. There are so many footnotes, like super geeky fun. It's all the stuff like the author being like, you know, here is where Archer tried to do this, or here is where Archer interviewed this person. Um, it it opens with this super creepy thing where they pull these people out of a river. I'm not going to tell you more than that. But um, the search for Molly Metropolis leads them to abandoned subway stations in Chicago. Um, and it ties in with the secret group responsible for political bombings, and it's just completely bonkers. It's a great, great mystery. And the way she writes it, you know, with the footnotes and everything, the research is so much fun. Um, it reminded me a little bit of Night Film. Did you oh. read that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a little creepy. It's like, whoo, underground, you know, missing people. Um, so it's like a little bit scary. But it's another debut. Like, just the debut novels this year are just mm-hmm. off the charts good. And I just absolutely loved it. It's called The Ghost Network by Katie D. Sabato. All right. I get to wrap things up with my favorite memoir of the year so far. Uh, it's called H is for Hawk. It's by Helen McDonald. Um, when her father died, she lives in the UK. When her father died, she decided to channel her grief into taming and training a goshawk. Um, and goshawks are well known as being like the most difficult birds of prey to try to tame for a lot of reasons. Um, she's like driving around in rainy, foggy Britain uh, and acquires a goshawk and then basically uses this old T.H. White book to help guide her in training it. She's This isn't a thing that's like totally out of the blue. She's trained other birds before, so she's not just, you know, like 
going off her rocker. <laughs> um, but T.H. White, who wrote The Once and Future King, um, also was into taming hawks and had written about that. And she sort of becomes obsessed with his writing about it and with trying to train this hawk. And the book, so the book is about grief and obsession and about how we try to recover from major losses in our lives. It also has really stunning writing. There's this chapter early in the book where she's first acquired the hawk and is trying to get it to trust her. And she sits in a, she just sits in a dark room with the hawk, like unmoving in the dark for hours. And the chapter is riveting. Like I have, I was reading it on the beach and I have never been, I don't think so absorbed into a chapter where basically nothing happens. Um, but it feels like everything is happening because she's so tuned in to where the hawk is in the space and if it's looking at her and how she's breathing and what that's telling this animal about who she is and whether she's the one in charge or not. And it just goes on for the rest of the book, sort of this tying together of her personal journey through the loss of her father and what she's doing in this relationship that she has with this goshawk trying to tame it. It's, man, I am not doing it justice. It is so, so good. Um, I don't know what else to say. It's really... It's at the top of everybody's list. It is, and for really good reason. Yeah. Um, like, the... The grief memoir is a thing that's really difficult to do in a new way and in a way that that feels really authentically human because that's such a it's an experience we all have, but it's so hard to talk about. Um, and she just gives voice to it really wonderfully. Um, I don't think that I've read something so good about loss since maybe um, the year of magical thinking. Uh, and it's weird to put those books together because they have very little in common other than both being defined by the writer's loss of a loved one, but it's it's so good. So that's H is for Hawk. I uh, have failed to articulate its awesomeness, so you should find out These for yourself. These are pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> Thanks, Lib. They can't see that you're waving your arms like crazy <laughs> at home. I know, I'm trying. I do, I gesture so much. Like, if we could live cam podcast recordings. <laughs> Oh, no, someone told me that that's really helpful, like, when you're recording a podcast. Because, I, you know, I get so, so nervous when I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. They're like, if you if you wave your hands around and talk like you normally talk to other yeah. people, it really helps. And it does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It does. It's it's mostly, I just feel like I'm hanging out talking to you on the phone for half an hour a yeah. week about good books. And well, that's, we are. That's pretty great. And that half hour has now come to an end. So quickly. What are you going to read now? I am in the middle of As If... An oral history oh, right. <laughs> of the movie Clueless by Jin Cheney. It is so awesome. Uh, she interviews Amy Heckerling, who directed and uh, was one of the writers of Clueless, and a bunch of the actors and producers and the other people who worked on the film. And she talks about um, it, about Clueless as an adaptation of Emma. And as many scholars think that it's the best adaptation of the Jane Austen work or the best inspired by piece. And then also sort of why it was the phenomenon that it was in the 90s, but also why it continues to be so relevant and relatable. And it's just filled with great tidbits like that Lauren Hill auditioned to play the part of Dion that Stacey Dash ended up playing so wonderfully and memorably. Um, there are so many great if, if you are into 90s pop culture and you no clueless backwards and forwards as i'm sure that many of us in this age group do it's so good um i'm only a little bit into it so i'm going to keep reading that what about you i am going to read speak by louisa hall oh it's I know so it's good a book that you love yeah yeah it's it's about 
it sounds very David Mitchell, like very Cloud Atlas. It's like five different stories, five different characters over several centuries and about communication and artificial intelligence and it sounds completely awesome. Yeah, we'll so. have to have a fight over who gets to pick it for the July 7th show. Oh, yeah, that's true. I'll let you have it. <laughs> uh, There's thanks, always like lady. so many other things that I <laughs> you, you You'll read, like, I read everything. 40 other books that are released that week between yeah. now and then. You read it first. You can have it. <laughs> So well, that's, that's it for today. That's our show, and that's our halftime show for 2015. We'd love to hear about your favorite books of the year so far. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can hit us up on Twitter. I am at Rebecca Shinsky, S C H I N S K Y, and Liberty is Miss Liberty. Uh, thank you to ourselves and Book Riot Live for sponsoring the show. Again, you can visit bookriotlive.com to see information about the programming and about the tickets, and use the code MoreCats to save. $20 on your ticket. Come hang out with us on November 7th and 8th. And if you like the show, please take a minute to rate or review it on iTunes to help other people find it. And thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who have been doing that so far. We are, we say it every week, but we are so um, excited and surprised and just really thrilled by the response yes. so far. Yes. And uh, since we didn't talk about any books that are out today, you can find them in the show notes. There will be a list of the new releases for uh, June 30th. And also, you can find them in our newsletter. If you're uh, not signed up for our newsletter, you can find that link in the show notes as well if you go to bookriot.com slash all the books. All right, have a good week. Happy reading. Happy reading.